Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast. My name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much, and let's get into the episode. Today, we have an awesome guest. Joe Wisniewski is the head of platform growth at Turquoise Health. In this episode, we discuss why is transparency so important in healthcare? What is being done right now to make price transparency possible? What brought him into healthcare? And what are the challenges Turquoise faces? This is a jam-packed episode. I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. Hey, Joe, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thanks for being on. I'm really excited for this conversation. So for those who don't know who you are, do you mind giving us a little background of who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Joe Wisniewski. I'm head of platform growth here at Turquoise Health. It's frankly just a fancy way of saying we're a lot of hats um, at um, our, our company. So we're just above 70 employees and Turquoise Health uh, focuses on taking the pricing transparency files that the federal government requires hospitals and insurance companies to post online. We take that data and standardize it. And then my specific responsibilities are, are twofold, right? The first of which is democratizing that data access into the hands of smaller providers um, and smaller like regional payers and other types of non-commercial um, entities, whether they're academics or members of the press. Uh, and then twofold is running our, what we call our turquoise verified program. So that's where we actually score all of those hospitals and how they're posting and how transparent they are in those requirements. So we're not Uncle Sam. I can't claim to be CMS itself, um, but we can at least measure them in a really clean and easy five is great, one is not so great measurement to highlight where they fall on transparency and help guide them in the right direction. That's awesome. Um, and we spoke, I mean, I think last year about price transparency and why how it's so why it's so important. But I would love to for you to explain because I mean you're in the business. Why is price transparency important? Why should we care about this? Yeah, I, I think um this this issue gets so tied up in politics so quickly, right? And um, no matter where, if you're left on healthcare or right on healthcare, like the, the fact of the matter is whatever direction you want to go in, we don't know how much it costs um, down to the dollars and cents and by all these different billing codes. And the analogy I give folks who don't interact a lot with medical billing is imagine going to buy a new Prius, right? You show up at the Toyota dealer and instead of being told that new Prius is sadly like, I think they're 30 something thousand dollars these days, they're not cheap, no cars are cheap anymore. But instead of being told the MSRP is say 35 grand, you're told, well, the tires are thousand dollars and this gear is a 500 bucks and the engine is 3000. You have to sit there and add up a bunch of codes until you get the price of the car, right? And in healthcare, billing was so complicated that it was even difficult to tell you the price of those individual pieces. Um, and, you know, I, I always think about the times I've gone to say urgent care or had family members who were going through a lot. Um, when you sign that document, right, when you're in the urgent care or when you're in an ER or whenever you're in a medical environment, you're signing off and basically saying, hey, whatever the bill is, let me know and I'll pay it. My insurance will pay it or I'll pay it. Um, and you never really know what the bill is until after the care is delivered. And it's one of the few parts um, of our economy that still operates that way. And I think pricing transparency is this really unique moment 
where we can finally get to that point where the federal government is starting to mandate and build up to a moment where a patient can say, I want to know what the bill is going to be before I show up for my surgery. And if a hospital's off by a certain amount, if an insurance company's off by a certain amount, that patient's going to have certain rights now to fight against that, which is really exciting. Um, and I think a big, big shift in the past, because there's a lot of folks who've heard about pricing transparency before and assume it's it's losing steam or hasn't really had much of an impact. But this time is different specifically because of, well, frankly, Uncle Sam through the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services. Yeah, no, I mean, I like to tell people, I, I tell people like, you know, healthcare is the one thing that's bankrupting you without you even realizing it until like months later. And it's really unfortunate because you're health, you're, when you're, when you go to the hospital, ER, whatever, you're in a very vul vulnerable situation. You can't really say no, right? At that point, you just can't. And even if you want to shop around, I mean, the, the, you know, you have people saying, oh, well, you know, just shop around and stuff like that. It's like, no one is, I, I worked in healthcare. I can tell you no one is actively thinking about going to the hospital. Like, it's not something that they're like, oh, let me go, go online, look at the menu for this restaurant. No, it's not that you only do it because you have to. Yeah. If you're having a heart attack, you should never shop for healthcare, right? <laughs> like in that moment, you shouldn't be like, well, oh, I heard their rates are a little high. Now you need that emergency service. Um, where I do think this opens up a lot of interesting opportunities is um, going back to that car analogy, right? Like if I buy the whole car, yeah, I need to know all the little individual pieces and add them up to the total episode of care. But there are certain things out there that are like transactional um, that could save a lot of money. Um, the thing I'm thinking of is imaging. Anything preventative care based is really straightforward and simple. If you and I get an X-ray or an MRI or uh, our grandparents or an older family member, it's the same thing, right? Grandma goes in, gets an X-ray, she comes out the same day just like I do, versus obviously like a knee surgery might be outpatient for me, um, but definitely inpatient for her, and that's where it can get complicated. So there's certain types of billing codes out there that are the entire service. It's basically one code, and it's the entire service, and those are easy to shop around for, both as a patient, but also as maybe a self-insured employer, um, as, a, as a payer itself, as a provider doing an analysis to see where they might be overpriced or underpriced. And the vision we're, keep, we're pushing to a lot of our customers is, yeah, let's, let's take a look at um, imaging for you know, early cancer diagnosis. If you could find cancer before it gets to stage two or three plus, you have a tremendously different outcome, right? Or um, even with colonoscopies, there's one core code and sure there's anesthesiology and other things, but as we see more younger people getting col uh, colon cancer earlier on, and I think the um, government lowered the recommended age now to, to 45, if I'm recalling correctly, that's another area where there are some providers that charge three grand for a colonoscopy. Uh, and then smaller surgery centers that are outpatient only that might charge $500, $600, $700 for it. Um, and those are the kinds of things where I think everyone stands to benefit from you do, do an analysis on those codes um, rather than getting too focused on the like, well, what about buying the Prius? Uh, what about the super intense heart surgery that has just a book of codes? Um, that's obviously a much different dynamic. And frankly, you probably shouldn't be um, going to the cheapest possible vendor, if you will, for, for heart surgery. Uh, there's definitely other outcomes you need to take into consideration, but a blood test is frankly a blood test. Um, and that could be an easy way for folks to save money. Yeah, no. And this kind of um, goes into like, 
the other the other i guess good thing about this and you kind of kind of mentioned in a previous conversation we had and i never thought about this is if you have price transparency you have you can lower the cost of things around you right if one hospital is charging way more than the others you can kind of equal equal that but also in terms of rural and community centers they can also raise their prices to kind of meet what is standard around the country right because they now know like hey the hospital in chicago is charging three times more are i mean they're not any better than us right mainly for preventative care stuff right a lot of these hospitals can't do like the major things but i mean could you want to touch on that a little bit because i i find that i i find that i never thought about it that way yeah there, there's a crisis in rural and community health care right and, and that's a lot of these hospitals are, are struggling to stay afloat post-pandemic um, and when they close, it's not like a closure in a major, say, Chicago metro area like you or Los Angeles metro area like me. I'm originally from Indiana. Um, and, you know, if you have a closure in a certain part of that county where I'm from, like that that ER room uh, visit, uh, that should say ambulance ride, just went from 10, 20 minutes to 45 minutes, depending on where you're at, if a rural hospital does indeed close. And that's just not the same impact for emergency services in a densely packed metro area where yeah, one hospital closure does have dramatic uh, implications, but your emergency room ride is still probably not gonna change drastically. It could be literally be life or death for someone having a heart attack in an area where the local rural hospital just shut down and now they need to get all the way over to another, um, another community hospital in another county over. And in those circumstances, the, the struggles for those hospitals are that um, they do need to, to make money on certain codes. They do need to like keep their doors open and the irony is if they're getting paid too little, um, they need to increase their costs and fight for a, a better share of those costs and a better, more fair payment from the insurance provider in order to stay open. So one might read that as like, wait a minute, are you advocating for healthcare costs to go up? But the nuance is there are certain areas where healthcare costs need to go down and then other areas, particularly for smaller, more independent medical centers, rural community hospitals, where many of them need to fight for slightly higher prices so they can even stay open, uh, period. Um, because if they close, it shuts down another more affordable option for the average patient. Yeah, and what people don't realize is these contracts are um, negotiated, right? So if you're like a big conglomerate, conglomerate, you can negotiate higher rates from the insurance companies. And if you're like a smaller independent or whatever, like you don't have the same power, right? And that's kind of what you're touching at. like you're we're opening the books for everyone now like you're a small independent hospital that has been being raked over the coals for the last decade or two and now you can be like hey no we know that you're paying for you're you're paying this much for, at this place we provide the same services at the same level we should be getting the same the same treatment right exactly and for the average patient too like what we're talking about here the in the weeds in depth <laughs> behind the scenes negotiations on a massive fee schedule or something like it does have a downhill impact for them. Yes. Um, but we're still in this stage. Like if I had to break down this data, there's like three stages to it. And, um, the first stage, I think we just exited out of, which was just getting this data available for frankly, like healthcare data nerds, right? The kind of people who, when they hear, um, SQL, think this like SQL, right? They think like, okay, I'm in Postgres, I'm writing SQL queries, I'm in Trino, I'm, I'm doing some kind of custom code script for myself. Um, in that world, we had to work so hard just to get that data for those folks that work at say a provider or an insurance company or who are just curious out in the world. Um, 
And that took a lot of effort to get, in particular, the payer files, which I know we'll dive into later, which were just so much bigger than the hospital files having to post. We've just exited that phase where we've gotten that data really locked down for that group of people. And then the second stage is getting it in the hands of like the rev cycle leaders at a hospital system, managed care, um, you know, VP of compliance at a health system who really wants to get into this or, you know, ambulatory surgery centers and imaging centers, even individual doctors who want to just run in, type in a code and get a price. Um, that's the current stage that we're starting to get into now, which is exciting. And then the final stage which is going to take a, a couple more years of work, I think, is truly getting it down to the patient level where the average patient doesn't need to know the 15 codes behind their knee surgery. They just know the knee surgery is X amount of dollars and they have no idea what went behind that price. Um, we're not there yet, though, um, and just to be frank, for anyone in this space. And I think that's the frustration for a lot of folks, rightfully so, is you want to get it to the patient level as fast as possible. Um, but we been through this five-year journey since 2021, and a lot of progress, I think, has been made in the first two years of that journey, and we have a lot more to do in the next three years. Yeah, I mean, it takes time, right? I mean, anything. the fact that you guys got this far um, in this short amount of time, for me, like being in the healthcare space, like that to me is like light speed, right? The fact that you, we got <laughs> this far that quickly, I think people don't realize that. And, you know, th that kind of leads me to like, you know, you, you don't come from a healthcare background. Like what what a what brought you into this right because you you do have a story that kind of brought you into this realm and then also what surprised you the most about the healthcare sector in general yeah yeah so uh to be clear yeah i'm only like a year and a half into my my healthcare journey uh so if you look at my background it's really apparent like wait how did this how did this guy in like politics and government affairs and then a little bit of freight like end up in um healthcare and and frankly it was just being used to acronym soup it's probably the best way to illustrate it is I'm very used to um, every single step of a process being really complicated with a bunch of acronyms. Acronyms said so much that you start to forget what they actually mean, but you, you still say them and know them so well. But then you're like, wait, what is that again? Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of just knew how to be in those environments and learn quickly. Um, but in terms of the personal reasons why I really care about this is... Uh, you know, and I think everyone has this story with a family member or a friend or someone they're really close with. And it just came down to, unfortunately, you know, for my mom, everything ended up being okay. Um, but she got a, a late stage cancer diagnosis, went through chemo, um, and then ended up getting what was left of the tumor removed about a week before the COVID closures started happening in March um, of, of 2020. So it was definitely a scary time to have a compromised immune system. Um, so thankfully, everything worked out. And afterwards, um, she started getting medical bills as a result of all these treatments, and they started to add up. Um, and you know, the average American struggles for a $400, $500 emergency, I think is some of the studies out there, and medical debt can quickly get to the point where it's well above that. You're talking tens of thousands of dollars, depending on the situation. And everything actually worked out because my mom um, qualified, it was a nonprofit hospital, so she qualified for debt relief. Um, given her um, income levels. And a majority, if not all of the debt was drastically, most of it was removed. And that's exactly how the system should work. And it was eye-opening to realize that's not the normal case at all, right? Some folks don't know they qualify for those benefits. Um, so I'm really proud of the fact that we have a, an awesome partnership with Dollar uh, Four. They're an excellent organization. Highly recommend Googling Dollar Four and, and the amazing work they do. 
Um, so we just flag if a hospital falls within those nonprofit uh, parameters, I should say, for folks to know, oh, wait, um, you know, if I qualify for this, I deserve this particular benefit. Dollar uh, four will help with those medical bills and, and walk you through the process with their staff. So there's just this natural alignment to the things I experienced and, and wanting to scale that process with my mom and see how I can do that with more people as much as I could. Um, and the timing of these pricing transparency rules um, was ideal to start having an impact um, where the hospitals were, were starting to be required to post in January of 2021. Um, and then insurance companies had to start posting in July of 2022. Um, so majority of the data we're talking about today didn't come online until, you know, uh, just about eight, nine months ago. Um, so we're still very new in this journey. Um, and, and again, the stories folks have told me about their close calls with medical bill, and that really just helps power me to get through all the acronyms. Yeah, I mean, like even, I mean, first of all, I didn't know Dollar Four existed. And like, I worked in a hospital my whole career until very recently. Uh, so yeah, so thank you for uh, pointing that out. I'll, I'll link their website in the show notes below. But yeah, I mean, I had similar things where we had, I had somebody close to me with a massive bill, got, it was tens of thousands of dollars and spent a couple of months going back and forth with the insurance company and the hospital. I knew that it didn't make sense. So I just kept fighting. And they said, okay, and they just, and then eventually I got a hold of somebody on the insurance on the insurance side and they said, oh yeah, um, that was an emergency. So that should be covered. And like 30 seconds, you know, a $15,000 bill turned into like a $3,000 bill. Like, I can't even imagine if I didn't have a background in healthcare where, I mean, people are paid, would have paid that because that's all they know. Like, okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, we do we want people to trust us in healthcare, but you also need to advocate for yourself, which sucks to say out loud as a healthcare professional that patients need to advocate for themselves, but you do need to advocate for yourself, unfortunately. Yeah, you do. And, and I think the other thing I've learned just in the Turquoise Verify program gives me a really unique um, exposure to a lot of these, particularly hospital leaders who are required to follow these rules and are trying to follow them or, or aren't properly following through with them. And it's just been fascinating to see you know, you can come into this and have this um, attitude that, you know, all hospitals are trying to not post or they don't want to be compliant or they don't want to do debt forgiveness or they don't want to do X, Y, and Z. And I think that paints a really simplistic picture that doesn't match the reality of, of the folks who are really in the weeds that are trying to be compliant with these rules and regulations. We're trying to do it during the pandemic. And they, in many cases, they still have some work to do, of course. But what I found is, I don't know if you're a fan of the show Scrubs. I, I grew up loving Scrubs, not Love realizing that show. I'd stumble into healthcare one day, but in a very different way. No, <laughs> by no means actually they're doing the real work, um, like in the show. But there's this one character, Dr. Kelso, you know, and he's, he's just um, always the, the more senior guy in the room trying to like push in the board member to get the fancy hospital suite to get as much money out of him. There's all these like little scenes where Kelso's like, well, they don't have insurance. Who cares about him? Like he's meant to represent like the darkest of the dark in the healthcare world. And um, the cold hard reality is I've yet to run into anyone remotely like Dr. Kelso. Like none of these um, hospital leaders who are in charge of these compliance um, requirements, they don't wake up saying, how do I, you know, ruin the average person's day and give them a $10,000 bill? They have no chance of paying off. Um, and it, it's just been really fascinating to watch and see a lot of hospitals really work hard to improve their pricing transparency um, and, and push against this, this trend, I should say, that historically was 
there really wasn't a requirement to do this. So there was no infrastructure built as weird as that sounds. And correct me if you're, if you think I'm wrong or, or something to add, but from the hospital perspective, there didn't seem to be that much infrastructure to make it easy to do billing like ever. <laughs> um, and now they're, they're being told you have to build this from the ground up and make it happen um, and doing it very quickly. And we've seen now 5,320 hospitals post some prices out there. About 70% of those um, are in good shape. The remaining 30 need a lot of work, frankly. Um, but that's drastically different than two years ago, where there was no files until the requirement was made. Um, and I think we need to at least celebrate that first step, knowing there are many more to come. But we don't want to be so pessimistic we lose out on all this new data that's available to both uh, medical professionals, data analysts, and then ultimately, you know, the American patient. Yeah, I mean, billing in healthcare is so complicated, like so complicated. I mean, you know this better than anyone. And there's so many ICD, well, ICD, I forgot, you know, kind of going back to look, we don't even remember what the acronyms mean. We say it all the time. I forgot what ICD stands for, but basically it's a billing standard, ICD-10. You know, there's all these codes that go in and, you know, and that's how they bill you, right? Based on that, whatever code is in there. And they can be entered in wrong. They can pick the wrong ones. And that's another reason why people should really, you know, ask for their bill and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think most people in hospitals, most people that work in hospitals are trying to do the right thing. I mean, each, everyone has their own different uh, motivations, right? Like the higher ups are thinking more on the money side. You know, the clinicians like us are thinking, we don't, we don't even think about the money side. We're just thinking about, okay, we just need to get them better. And then we just clash in the middle, right? Because, but in the end, our motivations in a weird way are similar, right? We, they, they want to, they're saying, hey, we need to stay open so you can do your job and help people. And we're like, hey, we just want to help people. Don't bring us into all this other stuff. And it's just like a really weird world. And to your point, like there isn't a great infrastructure that exists even to this day right now, right? And that's what's making all this really difficult because you can't just go on, like there's no Amazon for healthcare, right? I mean, it'd be great if there was, right? Or there's no like, database that exists and you and you guys are literally every you guys and other people and the hospitals themselves are literally building this from the ground up and it takes a long time to do something like that yeah it's it's shocking that it's taken this long for the government because it had to be the government to mandate this right if it were anything else any other entity a nonprofit standard or just an individual state like it, it absolutely had to be the federal government leading the way and um what the goal of, of CMS is, is one day that vision where, yeah, a patient could say, I want a bill ahead of time. What's it going to be? And um, there's something called good faith estimates that are rolled out um, that are in the beginning stages of implementation. There's a lot of tweaks to still be done, but they're meant to help uninsured or self-pay patients make an ask of what's my bill going to be. And if the hospital's off by more than 400 bucks, you as the patient can challenge it and go into a dispute process around that bill. Um, and it, it just gets me thinking about just the arbitrary things that I can challenge on my Chase credit card right now, right? And how streamlined that process is for something as dumb as like, oh, I bought two things off of Amazon and that one, um, or I wasn't happy with the, you know, that, that, that thing got delivered late and I can challenge the bill and how convenient and easy that is for something so frankly minuscule for the importance of my life and yet not a similar, it's not nearly as convenient and a similar structure hasn't existed until recently for something as important as your healthcare just struck me as odd. Um, and then the next stage is something called advanced explanation of benefits or 
AEOBs to keep the acronym train rolling. Um, and that's going to be on the insurance side for insured patients. That's a majority of Americans through their employer. Um, and that's going to open up all kinds of things um, where we're going to have to have a lot of infrastructure to support that kind of almost like a new pre-revenue cycle stage is what our CEO, Chris Severn, always talks about is this vision of there should be pre-revenue stages before someone requests something. Um, and it's, it's so simple to say out loud, but it's, it's a revolutionary concept in healthcare to know the price of your, your services before you actually get. Yeah. And it, it sounds crazy to say it out loud, but it's true. Right. And then like, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. Like when you think about it, like, you know, like going back to your, your chase example, I think the financial sector is a great model for like this whole thing. Right. Cause I mean, in our, I mean, the financial sector before all the, you know, like before it got really standardized over the world and everything was a complete disaster as well. Right. Like you really didn't know what was going on and it, people don't realize there was like a standard that was put in. I can't remember when, but like, that's kind of what streamlined everything. That's what allows all these things to kind of work together, things like that. And then once they built that platform, then they were able to build on top of that. Right. Like now we can streamline like your credit cards and this and that. But I mean, it's, uh, it sounds really dumb when you say it out loud, but it's so true. Like people don't realize how far back healthcare is and they don't realize how bad the technical infrastructure is. We have the medical infrastructure. Well, that's kind of debatable, but in terms of like, we can do things, right? But the technical infrastructure just does not exist and everything has to be built from the ground up. Yep. And again, like now that there is a federal rule that states, again, hospital, you have to post your prices. Insurance company, you have to post your prices. Then there comes the, the actual compliance stages that come after that of how is that enforced? How does CMS fine or send warning letters to a hospital or an insurance company? Um, with the insurance companies, it's on a state-by-state -state level, which will be more interesting when that compliance stage starts to hit. But for hospitals, it's, it's Uncle Sam. Like the CMS um, group, that, that agency, I should say, is in charge of that compliance. And it's been fascinating to see their rollout of more strictly enforcing these rules as the whole industry got used to it. Because they couldn't just say Jan first, okay, where is it? And then start hammering hospitals, they knew it was going to take a while to completely shift the culture um, of how, you know, RevCycle, managed care, et cetera, is done in contract negotiation and creating a charge master and all of that. Um, it was just fascinating to see that the tough positions they've been in while simultaneously, you know, you had hospitals where we were working with uh, one hospital CFO who's trying to become more compliant. He's like, look, I'm really sorry. I'm a week late on this, but the National Guard finally left my facility last week. Right? Like there was that kind of tension in, in like end of 2021, beginning of 2022. Obviously now we're in a very different environment. So the pandemic is no longer um, in the way, if you will, of this compliance. And I think that's given CMS um, more leverage to say, great, we're going to send out a lot of warning letters. And they started doing so. They've sent out more than 500 now warning letters to hospitals, essentially saying, you got you to gotta get this done. You've had two years. Um, you know, we, we're, we're out of time. Like, where is it, basically? Uh, and it's been fascinating to see that level of aggression, if you will, from a compliance standpoint that wasn't there in 2021, wasn't there at the beginning of 2022. And now that the pandemic, I should say, is done, it's, it's really shifted. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's great to hear that it's they're actually following through with it because, you know, there's, I mean, me included, we're really jaded, right? Like, things get put out there. Are they really enforced? Not really, you know, like, so that's good to hear. I mean, and then also, I kind of want to touch on these files, right? People, these are not like your standard Excel files where it's just a budget 
and you know you can kind of like oh. open it up uh do you kind of want to let the audience know how big some of these files are especially from like the big insurance companies yeah you know when they call them a machine readable file or mrf you know they're kind of getting you ready for for something that's a little scary and if you open up like if you google your nearest hospital you know saint joseph's there's tons of those or saint francis machine readable file or pricing transparency and then just hit enter in your chrome or, or safari web browser you're probably going to get your hospital's machine readable file page and there's something called a patient estimator tool which translates it a little bit easier for a patient to kind of search codes um, but it, it, again it's that prius problem we talked about earlier right it's only by code so for the average patient anything more complicated it's going to be numerous codes added together um, and you try to download that file you're probably going to get a, an Excel sheet that you can open up on your computer. But if you're not savvy with Excel, it's going to be a lot of stuff going on, right? Like if you're not a pivot table person or things like that, or, you know, command F your way through the codes, um, where it gets a lot worse though, is with the insurance company files is keep in mind, the insurance companies have to post their prices literally for every provider they do business with. So this massively opened up the, the floodgates of data because before it was just hospitals. Now it's think about like every um, lab that does blood tests, every behavioral health center, all the way down to like autism speech therapy centers. I work with quite a few of those that are searching their, their codes. Um, genetic testing, imaging centers, outpatient surgery centers, the hospitals themselves, like any type of healthcare facility, all the way down to individual doctors and physician groups, they're all in these files. And they're so big, they're in a file format called JSON. Before Turquoise, I would have thought that was like the name of a bird or something, but no, it's basically a file format where the data is so big, you can't fit it into an Excel sheet. You have to cram it into this massive, specially formatted, like for an engineer data format. And we had this guy who tried to open it up at a Starbucks. who didn't know what they were doing. And they, uh, they like almost crashed the Starbucks Wi-Fi. You know, it was going to take dozens of hours to download. Like, don't do that. Um, it just looks like the matrix, even if you can open it up on your machine, which most people couldn't. You know, it'll really cook your, your MacBook Air. Um, so they're not designed for the average person to open, plain and simple. Um, and that's where folks like us come in. Basically, the average person only cares about one or a couple of codes out of the 57 billion plus rates that are posted in these files. So it's like a needle in the haystack. And the best approach is just to grab the needle you need from those almost 60 billion rates or whatever it is. It always goes up um, and focus just on that. Cause otherwise it's overwhelming real quick. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, geez, uh, some of the, I, yeah, I mean, it's insane. Like some of the sizes of those files is just like, wow. But um, they definitely didn't make it easy on you guys, huh? <laughs> Now, when we've, now that we're at about 130 plus customers at this point, we've gotten used to it. It was almost like a, a game of whack-a-mole at Dave & Buster's. It's probably the best visual I can give you right now of going through these files of just constantly solving one challenge after another, right? And some of them are challenges that, frankly, hopefully our customers never have to hear about again or never know were challenges. That's the point. Um, so the first was, instead of just telling you, oh, it's St. Joseph's and it's this cost, most folks post in the payer files, most were posted by the TIN number on like a W-2 or, you know, when you're, you probably did your taxes recently. Um, I was last minute and did mine last night. I was kind of cutting it close. Um, but, you know, you've got your, your W-2 TIN number or your unique ID for your, your same thing with the business. But no one ever thinks about St. Joseph's as like 32 dash and whatever their number is, right? 
you think of it is either St. Joseph's, but there's dozens of those, or an MPI. Like that's the unique ID most people who are healthcare professionals are more familiar with is like MPI or Medicare ID or something like that. And that'll tell you the address information. So if you wanted to just know, hey, what are all the ASCs, the surgery centers in Dallas, can I get their prices? We'd have to sit there and manually find them for you. But now that we've, we've done this crosswalk between those two unique identifiers, now we can actually answer that question and pull that out by taxonomy ID code. Um, so it was really simple. So that was like the first one we needed to, to figure out. Then there was navigating a lot of these, uh, what jokingly called them zombie rates. Um, and what the zombie rate, I try to make this entertaining as much as I can. Um, so the zombie rates, think of them like this. Like you could have, say, I was just doing this analysis with Texas colonoscopy codes. And for whatever reason, there was this behavioral health center that kept coming up as doing colonoscopies. And I'm like, I don't know what kind of therapy involves also the colonoscopy afterwards. That's not the case at all. Like you go all over their website, they definitely ain't doing colonoscopies, right? Um, but what happens is these smaller providers, they get a fee schedule from a big payer. And that fee schedule is probably like standard boilerplate language that includes a bunch of codes. Um, you know, maybe... 30% of those codes they'll never do. Think like an eye doctor doing a colonoscopy is another great example. Um, and kid you not, that behavioral medical center that kept popping up definitely don't do colonoscopies, I confirmed. So cleaning those rates up is another big step too of things that uh, we can help guide people through or, or direct them in the right place and just acknowledge, hey, if you're not careful and you run a search, you want to make sure you're limiting out the eye surgery centers for a GI surgery center kind of focus or ortho ASCs, they probably don't do colonoscopies. Very few would. Um, you wanna remove those from your analysis. So we just learned that um, through frankly, just the brute force of cracking open the files, stumbling through them, making mistakes and learning with our customers as they start to notch up, you know, negotiation wins. Um, some of which are like, I'm really proud of what people are doing with these files and it's really exciting. Yeah, no, I think, I think people only see the end product, but they don't really realize how hard it is, especially with data. I mean, 90% of it is just cleaning it and kind of doing what you're saying, you know, and linking everything together that needs to be linked and like making it look pretty and giving you the outputs that you need. That's the easy part. Like once you get all that done, then that's the easy part. And you kind of just mentioned like some of the wins that your customers have had, like, can you kind of go into any, you don't have to like name any names, but could you kind of go into some of those wins? Yeah, yeah, I definitely can. I'd say um, one of the more interesting ones recently was, and this was a new new world for me of, of looking at, you know, one of the first things I hope a lot of patients will do is is the complicated um, billing code that also is pretty transactional. It's just literally like giving birth, right? One of the most important things that a hospital facilitates and the costs of giving birth in a given city range so drastically particularly at hospitals. It can be really expensive. It can be um, affordable. It's just all over the place. Um, and there's this type of medical facility called birthing centers that specifically focus on this. Um, and some are really, of course, well-accredited. They do a lot of great uh, business with major insurance companies, but they're struggling. Um, and there's this one birthing center um, on the West Coast of the country that was struggling with trying to negotiate fair rates for their services. They knew they had excellent patient um, reported outcomes. Um, they could go toe to toe with any hospital in terms of the quality of facilities, the quality of staff, but they were just paid drastically less than the hospital. And their, their thinking was, I wanna fight for my fair share um, and, and get that and, and be able to stay in business. Like it was starting to get to the point where there was a concern of could we 
could we even stay in business as an organization? Um, and what they were able to do was leverage um, our hospital data, get in there, start realizing, wait a minute, this is what that fair rate should be, um, and pushing back and negotiating more fair rates and even going so far as getting some money back um, from pre-existing months that had already occurred, which is really exciting to see. Uh, and as a result, you know, they've been given a second chance to really push through their mission and their vision of what they want to do in the community. And that was just one world where, yeah, I, I thought about it and I was always like, yeah, the first thing I think about is going to a hospital uh, for a family member giving birth or for most people who are who are born where they're born is, is a hospital. I never even thought of that world. So that's just one recent example that I'm particularly proud of, especially when it was someone who didn't have an army of data analysts to, to run SQL queries. You know, like, again, I make that joke about if, if you hear SQL and you think SQL, that's the more complicated solutions that we offer. But for someone like that, they hear SQL, they rightfully so think about the new Avatar movie or John Wick, whatever floats your boat, right? Those folks need a no-code solution, right? They need to just go in and type in an MSDRG for an inpatient service and just be told this is the average cost and just be told you're not getting paid a fair rate and not having to code a bunch to do it. Um, and that was really cool to finally get to that moment where we could start deploying it that way for these um, these kinds of institutions and, and really open the door to a huge new group of folks who could do this, you know, even down to the individual physician level, which is really exciting. Yeah, no, and that's kind of, and that's, that's great to hear, you know, like, like you mentioned, like these birthing centers, individual physicians, rural hospitals, they're struggling just because they don't have the staff or the army of analysts to kind of go through this stuff. Or just they don't have this time or the resources. And so like people like you can kind of help them like bridge that gap to be like, hey, this is it. Now go negotiate. I mean, they're negotiating regardless, right? Every year you're negotiating your your um, structure. So, I mean, that's awesome to hear. And then have you guys heard, have you guys had any pushback from like different hospital systems or heard anything like, hey, we don't want to do this. You know, it's going to hurt our business. Like anything like that from anyone? Yeah, I think uh, initially when these rules came out, like going back in time to like 2020, when it started out, you know, as a, as a Trump administration, like executive action, there was a lot of, um, you know, distrust on, on how this was going to go down. Um, and, and also looking back at previous initiatives around pricing transparency, a lot of different states had tried to do things or, you know, hospitals would band together and want to do it on their own. And it didn't really go too far. And one of the first things CMS experimented with was requiring at the start of 2020, to post a online PDF copy of your charge master, the hospital charge master document, which basically listed out all the list prices by code in a PDF format. Um, you know, if anyone's been an, an intern for too many semesters like me, then you might be painfully aware of manual data entry of taking those PDFs and putting them in Excel. It's not pretty. And sure, there's tools that automate it, but it was just the list price anyway. Um, and I think a lot of folks saw that and were kind of like, oh, what's the point of continuing this if, if we're just posting ChargeMaster online that we kind of all know ain't going to help many people with shopping around for healthcare. So there's definitely some um, distrust of it at first and, and just thinking through how are you going to enforce this? What's going to happen? And that changed into like this, um, at first, like reluctant acceptance might be too strong of a word, but there were definitely some hospitals that charged into this who knew um, they were smaller, mostly smaller hospitals or larger ones that had more competitive prices. They were some of the first to be like, oh, we want to get turquoise verified. We want to brag about our price. We want to highlight our commitment to price transparency because they knew they were going to win in this new era. 
um, and others were concerned what was going to happen to their practices and, and their facilities and their prices. Um, and it was fascinating to see um, that reluctant acceptance now turn to this like period of transformation where you know even the American Hospital Association was quoting the turquoise impact report and, and turquoise verified scorecard model and upholding that as like, hey, look at how we're getting better. Look at where we're getting into a better position. And there's been this big shift recently where I think folks are taking a pause and saying to themselves, wait a second, this is the new norm now. This isn't changing. Um, and that was a really big step that we frankly did not feel until the insurance companies also posted their rates. And then at that point, from a hospital perspective, you're like, well, all, the, all my blue rates are out there anyway. Um, may as well post. Um, and on top of that, you have all the states jumping in and making their own carbon copy versions of these rules. Um, so in Texas, for example, if you're a hospital that's out of compliance, you might get a warning letter and a fine from Uncle Sam. And then simultaneously, you're going to get a warning letter and a fine also from the state government. And at that point, you may as well comply. And we saw a big surge of machine readable files being posted in that area as a result. Yeah, no, that's awesome to hear. And I think, I mean, that, I mean, that's what I, that's what I'm trying to do with like, you know, talking to people like you yourself and others is like, yes, healthcare is broken. There's a lot of bad going on, but there's also good going on. There's, there's mo forward momentum happening. And this is one of those forward momentums. And like, it's good to hear. It's something that we need. It's not sexy. Like, oh my God, you know, it's not chat no. GPT or this and that, but it is something that will literally affect everyone that steps in, steps inside a hospital system, a clinic, or any sort of healthcare facility. Well, I, I would also argue, you know, I think people are are tired of the sexy things. Like we've just gone through this decade of all these hot button issues, all these really cool things that, that folks were going to develop. And then they all kind of puttered out. And I, I really think like you've got this, frankly, unsexy group of, of regulations and mandates in a decade of what needs to, the unsexy stuff needs to be prioritized in order to truly execute change. And I'm always trying to hit this right balance of you got to see the world for what it is and for what it can be. Obviously, yes, some of these hospital files, they're not perfect. They're missing some codes. More can be posted, of course. Um, but I don't want to ignore, you know, the great progress we've made at the same time and brush that all under the rug or something. Um, because that could actually lead to, you know, the government just losing faith in this too. When there has been so much success, we need to trumpet that while not ignoring the problems that are still there. And I think that the other analogy I could give you for compliance, because it's not as easy as like, oh, they're out of compliance. We've, we've got to chase them down. You've got a government entity that doesn't have a ton of resources um, to constantly surveil all this. So the best analogy I could give you is, you know, I'm curious, have you ever sped before? Bear with me with my question, but are you you're like 10 miles over? How, how fast do you usually go? I have sped, but below 10 miles, never above that, guys. <laughs> got it. That's a good rule of thumb, right? Um, and the analogy I give folks is like, look, of course, you're not the kind of guy it looks like to be in like the red Mustang going 90 miles an hour near like a school zone or something, right? You're going to get caught. You should get caught. You're going to attract a lot of attention. That's the equivalent of a hospital just blatantly not even posting a machine readable file. Um, the two hospitals that try to do that, they actually got a fine from CMS. They were the red Mustang. Um, and everyone kind of took note of that and saw the fines get increased. So then they started speeding more like, you know, maybe a minivan going like 75 and a, and, a, and a 55. Like, that's a weird, they're on the highway. I know in Chicago, you know, we're both talking about Chicago traffic. There are parts of Chicago where it says 55, but if you ain't going 70, you're in trouble. Um, so there's definitely situations where the equivalent of that is like a hospital posts a machine readable file. 
It has a lot of codes, a lot of CPT codes in it, but there's not that many MSDRGs for inpatient rates and they're missing those and they really should add them. And some of them are worried to do so because they're like, well, people aren't cars. Like an inpatient rate is so different depending on if an older person gets a surgery or a younger person gets a surgery, how do we do this? So there's some element of confusion. And what's fascinating to see is CMS is now breaking into that space of sending out warning letters to the minivans going 75 miles an hour. I'm starting to see even small, very rurally located hospitals. Um, think like a state like a North Dakota or a Wyoming in the middle of, of nowhere and finding a little tiny error in how they posted something. And they're like, oh yeah, I got a, I got a warning letter from CMS last week. So that's telling me that now you can't go 75. And it's just going to slowly go down and down and down until everyone's actually in compliance. Like that's the more realistic way to see compliance and that it takes time because they couldn't just come out of the gate and have the infrastructure to find everyone all at once. It would have been too difficult. The insurance companies are going to go through a similar process, albeit the government, the federal government isn't required to do that. It's going to be the state governments that actually do the enforcement. Um, so that's the next stage is, is getting states in line with figuring out how to interpret these JSONs, actually download them, see where there are missing rates, and then push insurance companies to get better at posting. Yeah, no, and it, it's 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 an iterative process, right? You can't. I think people. I think we forget in America how large America really is, and how many you know, like if you look at Europe and stuff, like the whole continent of Europe. Think of that as like being under one massive government and trying to regulate every single thing. And I think America is a little bigger than in terms of landmass and stuff. So um, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. And like, to your point, like I, for me as a clinician and somebody in healthcare, I love the unsexy stuff because that's the stuff that's actually going to help us. That's the stuff that's actually going to save us time, make us money, save us money, help the patients, all that stuff, because that's the stuff that like, you know, like, like, you know, like price transparency, you know, um, taking a note, you know, like doing the administrative tasks, like a lot of the administrative stuff that no one wants to do, no one wants to talk about. That's the stuff that's actually going to help. It's not the other stuff. And that might, I don't think that's a hot take. Maybe it is. I don't know. But for me, that that's what it is. But you kind of mentioned turquoise verified a lot. So what, and also the rating, like the one to five rating, yeah. how does somebody get turquoise verified? And what does the rating actually mean? Yeah. So the, the only folks who can do that are folks who are in senior leadership positions at a hospital. Um, so, you know, any entity that's required to post a machine readable file essentially can be verified. Um, so we've mostly done hospitals and we're starting the very beginning stages of the payer side and bringing their MRFs in and coming up with a, a grading schema or some sort of public listing for them too. Um, so in a nutshell, if a hospital wants to highlight their commitment to transparency, they can reach out to Turquoise and my team and say, hey, we want to make sure our scorecard is up to date and correct. And we want to get your suggestions on how we can be even better in transparency. Um, so let's say, you know, a hospital comes and they are a three out of five stars in our system. Think like one, two or three stars need a lot of work. There's a lot missing. And then we start to consider four like robust um, and it meets most of the core requirements of, of what the federal government is requiring, but it's missing some things. And then five star is something we consider very robust. And our unique model is we actually measure everyone in a class of hospitals. So we have to take into account this nuance that, you know, 25 bed hospital like Abraham Lincoln Community Hospital in Illinois is a good example. They are 25 beds, they're not in Chicago. Um, they have like 2000 billing codes. 
they should not be measured on the same standard as a 500 bed facility that has way more codes, does way more services, has all kinds of specialty um, focuses within its its facilities. Um, so they're put at a higher standard, frankly. They're, they're required to post more codes to get a five-star rating than a smaller facility. Uh, we also do it on facility type two. So we take, you know, is it is critical access only? Is it short-term acute care? Things like that. And we'll rank it from one to five. The goal is to get everybody to five and give you a clear reasons why you're not a five. So when a hospital shows up, we engage them in a conversation. We go through their machine readable file. We make sure we didn't make any mistakes as well in our grading. Uh, and then we give them recommendations um, and they can actually get verified on our system to say that they've gone through that process with us to help improve their star rating. And they know their rates with turquoise are accurate. Um, so you can't buy it. You know, this isn't Twitter. <laughs> you can't, you have to earn it. Um, you need to, you need to make sure um, you are you are putting in your good faith efforts and doing those calls with us to get that that badge on our website. And that's a, a really important thing to me personally and both for the business as a whole is that it never become um, something that can be purchased. Um, it very much is based entirely on your MRF and it helps us make sure we maintain this perspective of almost like the, the healthcare, healthcare, I should say, Switzerland in the sense that we are neutral and we just point you in the direction of what the data says. If you are the most expensive hospital in a county, we're not afraid to necessarily point that out if someone asks, because that's what the codes say. That's what the data says. That's what your own prices say. And I think there's that level of fairness that comes from all of this, because the federal government, in one of the few bipartisan issues left, um, I don't think you'll find another issue where like Bernie Sanders and like a Republican senator like a Mike Braun will be on the Senate floor, like being all about pricing transparency. Or when a CEO Chris spoke in front of Congress, that was a bipartisan panel of members of Congress. Like you just don't you don't see that kind of joint effort anymore, um, regardless of one's political views. And this is one of those issues because it's just so frankly common sense. And the verification program builds off of that common sense to just say, hey, this is what your price say. Are they right? Are they wrong? Can you correct it? Um, and if you haven't posted all of your prices, you should post more. That's essentially that program in a nutshell. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I mean, I think, I mean, no, that's, that's awesome. Um, so if somebody wants to get a hold of you, um, do they, how do they, how do they do that? And who can, who do you guys, how should I say this? Who can get a hold of you? Like who should reach out to you and how do they reach out to you? Yeah, definitely. So um, LinkedIn for, for those uh, who are, are really involved in like a, a revenue cycle, managed care, compliance, like you are a healthcare professional, that's probably the best way to get in touch is, is just via LinkedIn. Um, you can include my link if folks are interested. Shoot me a message or, or just joe at turquoise.health. Like I said, we're pretty small. So it was the first Joe. Um, so easy to guess email. You might struggle with the spelling of turquoise like I did for the first couple of weeks that I started at the company, but I got that you in the right spot. Um, so that's definitely one area. Um, I also work pretty heavily with, um, you know, members of, of the press and academics and our non-commercial arm that can reach out. And then in terms of patients, we actually, uh, one thing I was proud of with this company right from the get go was we've worked on providing a free version of this data for patients to use. Um, so a lot of folks think we're primarily patient focused based on our website, because when you go to turquoise.health, so if you happen to be the really savvy patient listening to this, um, go to our, our website, type in even just the description of something you're looking for and take a look at what your local hospitals cost. Um, that's a great way to leverage it. 
Um, and we have some resources on our website and, and dollar four is probably the best place to go if you're a patient in need of specific medical billing help. They are the pros in that. Um, they are experts at it. That's what they do day in and day out. And uh, we're, we're a proud sponsor of them and helping their work. Um, so dollar four is probably an excellent resource if, if a patient happens to be listening. To awesome. Yeah, no. And what about turquoise? If they want to work with turquoise, like specifically, like can physician practices also reach out to you or does it all, it's only like hospital systems? No, not at all. We, we do have actually a couple of uh, physician groups reaching out to us and, and starting to get into the data. So physicians all the way down to an individual single doctor's office can use these tools. Um, so we help all sorts of different providers. Um, so they could either reach out directly on our website or um, shoot me an email at joe at turquoise.health. And easiest way to help a doctor figure out if it's a good fit is start to go in and see what kind of codes are covered in their area. You know, we always, we always want to make sure what people are asking for actually is in the data in a usable state. Um, so that's the first thing we would do is, you know, if they really cared about a specific payer in their neighborhood and that payer has exceptional compliance, great. You know, we want to always be very transparent about that. So they're welcome to reach out to us on the site or via email, like I said. Awesome. And then what, so now knowing what you know now about healthcare, what advice would you have given yourself before you started down this healthcare journey? Oh, um, you know, turn around and run back. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I thought I was ready for the acronym soup, like from other industries, but it's a whole other level here. Um, and I, I think like what would be most helpful to tell myself is how pricing transparency is just this fascinating intersection of like patients' rights in-depth government affairs and compliance, issue, uh, compliance issues, I should say, and an immense amount of like rev cycle, healthcare billing knowledge, all just thrown into a pot <laughs> and mixed together. And I wish I'd understood that earlier um, because I first approached it as just a rev cycle thing of like, okay, let me learn all the words here and learn the lingo and talk to as many people as I could. And just getting connected with folks like you and other conversations that I've had in the last year and a half that was only part of the puzzle, frankly. The other part of it was this understanding of like, oh, wait a minute, we need to educate, you know, state lawmakers and members of Congress and other government institutions about what's actually happening on the ground floor with, frankly, this Pandora's box that's been opened. And then the final element of that was the, the patient's rights perspective on recognizing the frustration that a lot of people might have when we say, hey, this is a three, five-year project, and yet every day people are getting immense amount of medical bills. Um, that, that can't be solved in two years. They need to be solved now. And balancing all that is a lot. It's a fascinating challenge. I love it now, but it was definitely a lot to process all at once a year and a half ago. And that's what I would have shouted from the rooftops to myself. about. Yeah. Healthcare is complicated guys. Um, yeah. that's kind of the, it, it's, um, it's very, very complicated. And I think that's, I think a lot of people try to bring it down to like, you kind of mentioned, right. You can't throw everything in the same box and healthcare is like, you cannot even throw two of the same shoes in the same box, honestly, because they're just so wildly different and no, but I mean, I'm glad people like you are in it. Like, you know, um, knowing you for as long as I have, you guys are doing the right, you know, you, you personally are doing, you know, I feel like, you know, people, we need people like you in there, uh, fighting this fight because it's a really important thing. And again, it's something that affects literally everyone in the country and we really need to be, uh, paying more attention to this kind of stuff. So I'm glad people like, you know, turquoise exists and all the push and it's, great to hear everything you've told me with how the government is taking this seriously and how all the hospitals and insurance companies are taking this seriously. So 
that really does. I think one thing that people should take out of this is we are moving forward. It's incremental, but at least it's moving forward. Yeah. Incremental progress doesn't make a great tweet or a fundraising email newsletter or a newsletter in general, but it's, it's what's required to make this happen. It's just incremental progress day by day over that three to five year period. Um, and it's also acknowledging, you know, healthcare is all local is really the other understanding. Like I come from a local political background and I think that helped me a little bit in recognizing like you could have amazing compliance nationally, but your local hospital isn't great at posting files or vice versa. And it all comes down to your unique neck of the woods and what that dynamic is like. Um, that's what matters. And that helps focus your efforts rather than thinking about the immensity of the problem, at least for me. Yeah, no, 100%. But Joe, I want to thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Um, I think people are going to enjoy this one. Yeah, thanks again for having us. Really proud of what Turquoise is doing. There's just so much work that goes into this. There's dozens of engineers who are toiling through these files one by one, just playing the game of whack-a-mole to make them work. Um, and there's just a lot of folks behind the scenes that are just super passionate about this. Um, and it just means a lot. So thank you for having us and glad we can jump on and talk. Yeah, no, thank you very much. <laughs>